and good morning, Creekside. Uh, I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. And if I haven't met you yet, I'm just so thankful to have you here worshiping with us. Um, congratulations to all of you on being literally the only per- people that I know that aren't sick right now. So um, the big difference between you guys who are here and those that are following along online is that you guys don't know that you're sick yet, I think. So um, is it just, it's, it's just nuts. Like life is crazy. And I, you think that we exhaust the end of how crazy life is. And then it just keeps getting weirder these days. So who knows? Maybe we'll get used to weird. Maybe, uh, nah, I'm not going to even speculate. There's plenty of things for us to disagree about already. So, um, hey, so glad to worship with you guys. I want to just invite you before we open the word of God together, invite you to a couple things. Okay. So first of all, um, tonight, we are having a uh, discipleship training event uh, here at the church. We're going to be in the event room. And, um, and basically the idea there is um, discipleship looks like a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, bottom line, Jesus like, commanded us before he left. He said, go into all the world, make disciples. And, um, and so that's a, a big deal for Jesus, that, that idea of making disciples. The problem is in the churches, we tend to, um, we tend to be ambiguous. We tend to be vague. We tend to be um, kind of big picture with that stuff. And so what we want to do tonight is just lay out a very simple approach to, hey, this is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it looks like to make a disciple. It's actually not as intimidating as you think. It's actually much simpler. So we have a simple approach to that and some simple tools to help you do that. And so the, the invitation tonight is, hey, we want discipleship to have a renewed, important place in Creekside churches. We're kind of coming back from um, the confusion of pandemic life to the extent that we're able, we're just trying to say, hey, let's, let's invest in the stuff that really matters. And discipleship is a key piece of that. And so um, come back here at 6.30 tonight, and, um, and Pastor Nathan's going to just lead us through um, some of these simple steps. And, um, and I'm really excited about what this will do to the culture of our church. So that'll be here in person. If you are not able to make it tonight, we, um, we're going to have a Zoom option as well. And, um, and also we're going to record it and stuff. So if you, um, I sent out an email with links to that kind of stuff, but if you, um, need access, you didn't get the email, whatever, um, you can come find me afterwards, talk to me and I can make sure that we get you the information you need. So there's that second, um, we've got a men's retreat coming up March 11th through 13th. Okay. And so we would love to have you gentlemen there for that. So you're sitting here thinking like, do I want to go? Just the answer for you, yes, just go. It's going to be amazing. Um, you're wondering, like, is my wife going to be okay without me for the weekend? Yes, she's going to be fine. In fact, she wants you to go to this thing, okay? And so, so be gone. Come back, a better husband. We're going to spend some great time just, like, um, just obviously digging into the Word of God together a little bit, but a lot of it is just that camaraderie that we have and the, the building of relationships, and it really is a special thing. We haven't been able to do this in a long time, so I encourage you guys to come. We're going to be uh, at a campground called Koinonia in the Santa Cruz Mountains. It's going to be an amazing time, and I uh, can't encourage you enough to do it. So um, so don't, don't save the date, okay? Don't uh, talk about it later. Like, pull out your phone and just register for the thing, okay? Let's just do this. Now, let's worship by uh, looking at the Word of God together. So um, this morning, what I'm going to invite us to do, okay, is uh, we're going to continue on in our creating our created to worship series, okay? And so we're trying to get ourselves back to the heart of what, it, what does it mean? We spend half of our time week by week um, worshiping in song, like singing together. That's, that's like a significant priority that we give to this activity where we all kind of sit in a dim room and we have these words that are up there and we all sing them together. What does it mean? Why does it matter? And that's what we've been trying to get back into. And so when, before I moved up here, I was, for 10 years, I was a, a professor at a, a little Bible college 
and um, I would always give a midterm, okay? And I just have to explain. So it feels sadistic, like, the, like why a midterm and a final, right? It feels like you're being punished, but let me just assure you, it is a gracious move for the professor to give you a midterm, okay? Because here's the thing. You get half a semester's worth of stuff that's all there that you've got to remember, and the midterm is a way to remember it halfway through, and then you can kind of leave that behind and move on to the next step. It's, it's a helpful tool for you. So here is your midterm exam, okay? I, I've, I've challenged us a couple of times with um, two weeks ago as we launched this series. We looked at Malachi, and we saw that there is a situation where Israel is God's people. They're created to worship. They're called to worship. They have this whole system and structure for worshiping. And God comes to them and says, you're doing all the external things. Your, your attendance is there. Your offerings are there, right? The worship is, is like there in theory, right? But your hearts are not in it at all. And you're making a mockery of this. And God just comes and says, what you're doing in this place is not just not ideal. What you're doing is evil. And I wish somebody would just shut the doors to the temple. I wish someone would put out the fire on the altar and let's just not do this at all because it's evil the way that you are invoking my name, saying things to me or about me, but your hearts are not there and engaging with me. And so that's what we looked at the first week. And so the call there was for us to say, Let's, let's be a people that don't, like our hearts are set on God. We're, we're kind of coming back to the heart of the whole thing. And we're saying rather than coming into a space where we've got to like, we've got to have a team that works really hard to invoke our worship, right? To, to kind of convince us or even trick us into worshiping. So it's like, didn't really feel like worshiping today, but okay, you convinced me, I'll do it. Instead of being that, let's be people that come to a church service already worshiping. Because we're seeing the things that God's doing in our lives and we're, our hearts are being drawn to him and we're just saying, God, you're so good. Yes, I'm ready to worship. And all it takes is the smallest invitation from, from the, the least talented person in the world to say, hey, let's worship God together. And we're like, yes, my heart's there. I want to do it. So that's been the call. And I'll tell you, I will tell you, the mid, on this midterm exam, I'm not doing great at showing up already worshiping, okay? Which is insane, right? I'm literally the one that said, let's do this. And I'm, I'm finding it hard to do that. Um, and so the call is, let's, let's get back into it, right? Let's, let's remind ourselves again. Let's say there's reasons to worship all the time. Let's come. When we, so when we gather, right, if this isn't the only time that we worship God, it just is a chance for us all to do it together, okay? So let's remind ourselves of that. And then last week what we did is we dived into the reality. Really, it's the theology behind what we just sang of come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide, right? And last week we looked in Hebrews at, at the idea that Jesus is our high priest. And so he went into the Holy of Holies, the holiest place in the temple. In the, in the temple and he's there behind the curtain. And actually what Jesus did is he represented us there. He made the, the sacrifice for us there, which was his own self. He sacrificed himself. And because of that, the curtain is torn, the curtains removed, and we can come boldly into the presence of God. And so as a midterm, again, the, the, the call, the reminder is when we stand here as a group of people and we sing together, are we remembering the fact that not only can we be here, right, standing in God's presence, not only can we be here, but we, like, God sees us as worthy to be here. Like, he wants us here. It's his idea to bring us here into his presence, like, able to boldly worship God in the very presence that would, would have made um, anyone in the Old Testament just fall on their face. We can be there. We belong there because Jesus has made that sacrifice. And so the, the call, the reminder is as we worship, as we sing these songs, we say these things that are true to God, are we remembering that God's presence is here in the most intense possible way? 
and, and just to get our minds back to say, okay, I'm singing to a God that is so amazing and so glorious, and he wants me here. And he paid the ultimate price to, to make it so that I belong here. So now, end of midterm. Now we jump into a new passage. And this is going to be Romans 1. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 1. I'll put it on the screen for us so that you can follow along if you like. And here we get into worship from a different angle. Here we get into worship as um, a response to who God is and to everything that God's done. And I'm so excited to dig into these verses with you this morning. And so I'm just going to jump right in. We're going to start in uh, verse 18 here. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. So here we have uh, this call, okay, and it starts on a really, like, dark note, okay? This is, like, this is, like, everything, everyone's, like, like, someone is in here, I guarantee it, that was, like, you haven't been to church in a while, and you're, like, I knew it. I knew I'd come back, and the pastor would be talking about the wrath of God, okay? So, um, so I know that we, uh, there's that sensitivity to that, but the, here's the thing. Here's the thing. It starts off talking about the wrath of God. This is a hard place to start. And what it means is it means that God is, God is angry about something, okay? Now, that's not popular to say, but he's saying God is angry about something, okay? Now, look, here's, here's what the problem is. What is God actually angry about? This is different, okay? This is different than the way that I get, like, frustrated with my kids, okay? So tell my kids, like, you know, keep your room clean or make sure you eat your dinner or, like, just please treat your sister with, like, just the basics of human decency, okay? And it's like they don't do it, and they can't do it, and again and again and again. And so when I get frustrated with them, right, I'm angry. That's not what's happening here with God, okay? It's not that frustration. It's not like the frustration you experience at work where you have that coworker where you tell them again and again and again that, like, like here's the instructions here, and then they can't do it, and you're just like, what is going on? And I'm angry, and I'm boiling, right? That's not what's happening with God. Here's what's happening with the wrath of God as Paul's describing it here. Paul is describing a God who is like the being who exists, okay? There was a time when there was like literally nothing except there was God, okay? And somehow God has just always been. And he's so good and he's so great and he's perfectly fine just being God. But there came a point where he said, you know what? I'm going to create some things, okay? And God having all power and all creativity and all goodness was able to create some pretty amazing things, and so he created the galaxies all around us. He created the world. He created all the animals to go in and all the plant life. And at the height of it all, he creates human beings, a man and a woman. He breathes life into us and gives us like this, this ability to just live in this beautiful place with him. Okay, so this is what's happening with God. He does all of this, okay? And why is God angry? Because here's what happened. God is angry because these people that are given this perfect access to him, I mean, he would literally just like walk with Adam and Eve in the garden. I can't even get my head around that, but everything was so good. But what happens is we as human beings, Adam and Eve and everyone else on down, we are so good at looking God in the face and seeing all of the good things that he's given us and this open access that we have to him. We're so good at looking at that and twisting it and saying, you know what, God, forget it. I don't want that. What I want is this instead. 
and we take the things that God made and we make those into our gods instead. We take ourselves that God made, we make ourselves into God instead. And so Paul's saying, God has made it clear. He's made it plain. He's made all of this and it's all just like shouting about who he is. And yet here we are as human beings and we come to him and we reject him. It's not just frustrating because he's told us a bunch of times, but no, it's just outright defiance to God that we say, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want to do it the way that you call me to. And so he's saying, because of that, there is this wrath of God. There's this angry of this anger of God. It's basically just this, this idea of God is good. God is just. He's made this whole wholesome, beautiful place and these beautiful people. And we choose ourselves to be on the wrong side of that. And so now there is this call, okay? There's this call. There's this um, response that, that Paul's explaining now. Okay, this is what's going on here. But he says, here's what's actually happened. We as human beings, he says, we suppress the truth. And here's how he describes it in verse 19 and 20. What can be known about God, he says, is plain to them. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they were without excuse. So he's saying God has done something. God hasn't just like left us clues God hasn't just given us the opportunity to, if we happen to grow up in the right home, and if we happen to like find the right curriculum, and if we happen to read the Bible in the right way, we'll be able to piece this together and figure it out. And he's saying, not any of that. God has made it plain to them, to humanity. God has written it everywhere. It's, on, it's written in the skies. It's written on the earth. It's written if you look under a microscope. It's look, look, written if you look through a telescope. It's written all over the place. God has shown it to them. God has made it plain to them. And yet we as human beings are suppressing the truth. So what has God shown to us? He says two things. He says God has shown us his eternal power and his divine nature. So his eternal power. Like God's just like inexhaustible ability, right? He's just infinite power to do whatever he wants. That's clear. To look at the world around you, he's saying, and everyone has the ability to see, and there's a God that is so strong, so capable, so powerful. And he says God's divine nature. The word that he uses there literally means God's godness, okay? Which is like just saying, you can look around, you can see so much power, and just like, man, divinity, deity, godness. Like, you can see it written everywhere around, and I think we know what this is like. It's a little tricky to describe, but we know what it's like. So if I put myself in a spot, I remember the first time that I went to the Grand Canyon. I was with my family, and I was like junior high or high school or something, and I had seen pictures of the Grand Canyon, right? I thought it would be impressive, but there was something about walking up to the rim of that Grand Canyon and looking out over the whole thing that was like, I, it was like I was, I was tiny, but my heart was big or something. You know, it's like, how do you describe it? It's just like this sense of awe of like, wow, this is beautiful, and this is massive, right? And this sense that I am so small, and yet, correspondingly, there must be someone who made this through means I don't understand that is so much bigger than I am. I think that's kind of what Paul's describing, is there's this sense where we can all stand there and look, right? I remember the first time seeing a sunset in Hawaii, okay? You go to Hawaii, you know it's going to be epic, and then you see the sunset, and you're like, okay, there is a God that is just so big and so good, and he thought of this, and it's insane, okay? I remember the time that my daughters were born. I, I was not an emotional person until my first daughter was born, and as soon as she came out, I was just like waterworks, and I have been ever since. Like, literally, commercials will sometimes make me cry, and it's, um, it's just something changed in me, right? When you look at their, their little bodies, right, and you see like it's a functioning human body somehow, you know, with a little brain that's developing, and little eyes that can see, and these tiny little hands and stuff, and you're just like, I, like, 
I don't understand, God, how you did this, but I understand there is somebody out there that is so much bigger and more powerful than me, someone who is like God and different, and that still somehow cares enough about me to give me gifts like this. It's unbelievable. And so if we stop to think, I think we see what Paul has said, that I mean, God's put it everywhere. He's shown it to us, right? It's clearly perceived, right? We know God and his acts. And the secret is, okay, the secret is, I just listed a few things. The secret is you could look literally anywhere in the universe and you could have confirmation of this exact same thing. You could look literally anywhere. So go out, look at the night sky, even in a place like this where you can hardly see any stars and you can see, man, God's handiwork is there, right? You can look at the concrete floors that we have around us and if you think about it and stare at it long enough, you can, you can begin to see the fingerprints of God and all of that. Like you can look at a person, you can look at your own crazy, weird, quirky self in a mirror, okay? And you can see yourself and everything that you don't like about yourself, all the ways that you frustrate and disappoint yourself, all the ways that you think that you're not how you should be, and you can look in that mirror. And if you do, and you stare long enough, and you think about it deeply enough, you can see the fingerprints of God all over that. So the secret is everywhere, all the time, anywhere that you want to look, we can be reminded that God is there. God's made it plain, he says. He's made it clear to us, he says. It is so clearly visible. The problem is, okay, we've had this experience where we saw something, we saw God's glory, and then we kind of walked away, like, pretending like we didn't see it. I think he's saying this is what's wrong with human beings, is we see it all the time, but then we walk away kind of pretending like we didn't see it, okay? So I had this experience um, a while back, and it wasn't, it wasn't an awesome experience. I was, um, I was walking with my daughters on a, we have a walking path by our, our house, and um, the girls had their basketballs, and they were just, like, they were just getting started dribbling, they weren't amazing at it. One of the balls goes off the path, and there is this um, really intense barrier that's just a um, cable that's hung, like, pretty low to the ground, okay? So I go over, like a good dad, and I retrieve the basketball, and I give it to there. And something about my, like, 40-year-old body just was not able to lift my foot as high as it needed to. And I caught the cable, and it, like, ripped my leg open a little bit, and I fell flat on my face on the concrete, okay? Um, my wife did not laugh immediately, but pretty quick, pretty close to immediately, <laughs> And there was these two women that were walking by just right as I did that. So I just, you know, do this whole thing flat on my face. Like it was, it was an old man fall. Okay. I'm just going to say, you know what I'm talking about? I am, I'm only 40. Okay. And, uh, and these two women were just like literally right there, but they had the dignity to just kind of pretend like they didn't see it. Or if they saw it, they didn't really notice it. And they just kind of walked on. But I know, and you know, they went home to their families and they told them all about the crazy big guy that just fell flat on his face in the thing. Right. I think Paul is saying, it's like, we walked through this life, and it's like, we just saw something that's notable, you know? But we're like going through, and it's like, eh, I didn't really see God's glory there, right? Oh, I'm just kind of like, I've got other things to do. I've got, and he's saying, no, stop and acknowledge the thing that you saw. You saw God's glory. And anywhere, like right now, you can see the glory of God just even in this room, just even in this little space. Just look at your own hands, and you'll see God's glory. I think he's calling us and just saying, like, it is there. And so he says, all this, he says, that last line, so they are without excuse. They're without excuse. What can you say? God, I haven't been worshiping you like I should because, and anything that we fill in after that because, he, Paul is saying, that's nonsense. That, like, how, like how foolish can you be to fill in that sentence with anything? I haven't been worshiping God like I should because anything that you put there is going to be inadequate because he's saying, you are without excuse. There's no excuse that you could make. If I try to put this in God's words, I imagine God kind of explaining this to us. And I imagine him coming with like more than a little sarcasm and just saying, oh, has it been hard for you to worship? I'm so sorry. That must be so rough for you. 
you must never have seen literally any sunset in the world, right? You must never have heard of or seen the Grand Canyon or any of the wonders of the world, right? Oh, that must be hard for you. You must, you must never have looked at anything at all through a microscope or anything at all through a telescope, right? You must never have been able to see the sun shining through the leaves of a tree, right? You must never have looked into the eyes of somebody that you love. Like, it must be so hard for you to not be able to worship. Man, I'm so sorry that there aren't more things out there to induce that worship, you know? And I just, I feel like, like, what are we saying to God? And we're like, yeah, I don't know. It's just hard to kind of get my heart into it, you know? And I, I think I had this experience a few years ago where I'm like, how could anybody bite into a strawberry and not recognize that there is a God who loves us deeply, you know? Like any little thing can just be like, wow, this is incredible. This strawberry exists and it tastes like it does and I'm able to taste it. This is incredible. And man, all the time, it's like we're walking through this life. Two weeks ago, we defined worship as it's acknowledging God's presence and it's valuing that presence. And it doesn't mean that we can't have a complicated relationship with that presence of God, right? But it's acknowledging it, saying, God, you are there, and I can perceive that. And I've got questions intellectually that aren't answered, right? I've got doubts, and I've got hurts that stem from my relationship with you, and I haven't resolved all those things. But it's saying, that's there. I can acknowledge your presence. I can value your presence. And I can still come up with a list of a thousand things that are reasons why I can worship you, why I've clearly seen you in this world around me, and I don't have to live my life walking on as though I haven't just seen what I know that I just saw. So here's how Paul describes what happens with this, okay? Verse 21, he says, Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the glory about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so Paul starts this section and just like one more time for good measure, slips it in like he says, although they knew God, right? So he's coming back to it again, not just that they perceived God, not just that they had the opportunity, but no, they knew God. But what did we do? He's saying we basically, we get our worship backwards, okay? And we take the creator who made everything and we look at his creation and we say, okay, this is the one that needs to be worshiped. This is the thing that I need to give myself to. And there's this reversal. And what Paul calls that is foolishness. And I love the way he says it in verse 22, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And man, that's so applicable so much of the time. Like I think of myself sometimes, you just wax eloquent on a thing. I've got it all figured out. And he's saying in professing our wisdom, we just become these fools. I mean, how many times, if we were honest, have we been fools the last couple of years that we've interpreted what's happening? And if, if all the reasonable people just believed this, then, you know, and it's like claiming to be wise became fools. And he's saying this happens all the time. And it happens as we look at the world that God made. And when we talk about how things should be, how things are, we explain it. We, we, we build up our own importance in the midst of it. And he's saying these people are talking like they know what they're talking about. They don't know anything. And their very claim to wisdom is foolishness. But what? What is the foolishness that he describes? This is, I think, is really significant, and it's crazy. The foolishness that he describes is our worship, our, our misrelation to worship. 
See, he's describing this like fundamental human problem. What's gone wrong in the world, okay? And we could, we could kind of like go around, we could look at different segments of society. What's gone wrong in the world? What's gone wrong is um, government has got it wrong, and that's why society is so broken. What's gone wrong is everyone's not a Republican or everyone's not a Democrat, right? That's why society is broken. Um, what's gone wrong is, is like, you know, the, the way that like justice or injustice or, or wars or whatever, right? We can point to all these different things to say if society was just ordered this way, then everything would be fine in the world. And what Paul is saying is what's gone wrong in the world around us? He doesn't say it's human behavior, not the way that we act, although he'll go on to describe that later in Romans. He says here, What's gone wrong in the world, what's broken everything, is that our worship of God is misrelated. We've gotten worship wrong, and because of that, everything is broken around us. That feels like a huge claim to make, okay? That feels like a really grandiose claim. This feels like, okay, uh, what a worship leader would say to, like, defend their job, okay, right? Like, 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 oh, maybe we don't have money to pay the worship leader. Like, no, you guys, worship is the most important thing, and if we don't get this right, we don't get anything right— but it's Paul saying this, right? Paul is literally saying, what's wrong with the world? Worship is the most important thing. And if we get this wrong, if we get the worship of God wrong, everything else is broken. And so what do we do? He talks about how we change. We take the created thing and we replace that for the created. We lift the created up higher. John Calvin famously said that our hearts are like these perpetual idol factories. And so our hearts become these places where, man, we, we like look at everything in the world around us and we think, oh, I could make that into an idol. And our hearts are just great at taking things that are secondary and lifting them into this place of primary. That we basically were always worshiping, but what we do as we always are worshiping is we just exchange like who and what we're worshiping and God gets the second, third, fourth, fifth place in all of that. Um, Isaiah, we, we actually looked at this um, a while back, and Isaiah talks about, in Isaiah 44, he talks about how insane it is. He says, okay, picture this. There's a man that will go out into the woods, and he'll chop down a tree. He'll take home a log, and then he'll come home, and he'll take that log, and he'll cut it in half, okay? And he'll take one half of that wood, he'll put it in the fire, and that's going to keep him warm, and he's going to cook his meal over that half, and then he's going to sit down with the other half of that log that he brought home, and he's going to chisel it and carve it into an idol, and he's going to bow down on his face and worship it and say, man, how would it, you are the strong deity that I serve, you know? And, and, and Isaiah pitches that like, what a ding-dong, you know? This is insane. Now, he's trying to get us to laugh at this person, right? And it's easy to be like, yeah, that is stupid, right? But here we are in 21st century America, and I think the point is we're all this stupid. Like, we, lit we literally do this. We do this all the time. By, by taking anything that is created and putting it in the spot of creator, we are literally doing that to ourselves. And when we do that, right, we're just like, we're taking something that is ultimate, God, who is the only one who is ultimate. We're taking him and we're lowering him, and then something else has to become the ultimate thing, okay? And I think for many of us, that ultimate thing has become, like, government or society, Right? God is no longer ultimate, so I need society. Society has to be the big thing. Government has to be the big thing. I need them to get this right, and I need to put all my effort into getting them to get this right. Otherwise, my life is going to fall apart, right? We might put our own like, health in that category. Like, I need myself to be functioning the way that I want to, whether it's like 
all the crazy exercise I do, obviously I'm just speaking hypothetically, um, <laughs> all this that I do, whether, whether it's like I got to get over these illnesses that are facing me, but my health becomes the ultimate concern because I've got to be functioning like the machine that I am so that everything else will be right. Or we lift relationships into that category. It doesn't matter who. It, it could be a spouse. It could be a parent. It could be a child. It could be a, um, a coworker or a boss. And we put them in this ultimate spot. This has to be right so that everything else can fit into place. And, and I, it's, it's no different. It's no better. It's no less idiotic than the person that cuts a log in half and burns one half and makes the other into his God. It's taking something that was never meant to be ultimate, and we're lifting it into that place. But if we can get God into that place of ultimacy, then everything else can fall into place. Everything else can fit. If God is ultimate, if God is big, and if God is in that place where, yes, God is right, so everything else can fall into place, what that does is it allows like it allows our relationships to just fall in the way that they need to fall in. And so we can look then to our friends and our spouses, and we can let them just be friends and spouses, okay? They don't have to be God to us. They don't have to get everything right for us. They don't have to be exactly right in order for me to be able to be who I need to be, right? We can look at society, and if God is where he is, then he's in control, and he is ultimate, and we can look at our society, it becomes a place where we can, like, serve people, and bless people, and love people, and enjoy people, and contribute, but it does not have to be all perfectly right in order for me to live the way that I want to live. We can look at our legacy of what we're going to leave behind people, and that can simply be, if God is ultimate, if he is the big picture and the ultimate story, then, then, man, what I leave to my kids or, like, how someone will remember me after I'm gone, that can be a piece related properly in the story. And it doesn't have to consume me. It doesn't have to control me. It doesn't have to motivate me in the way that it does. And so the question for us is, what are we switching for God? And if it's not the created stuff, often it's ourselves that we're lifting into that. And everything becomes about, like, I, I build a world, a universe around myself where I've got to get everything the way I need it, and everyone else is either conveniencing or inconveniencing me in that. They're either enabling me to be everything I want to be, or they're hindering me in that. And man, that is a broken way for us to live. But it is so common for us to live like that. And so we step into that, and I think we take this mindset, unfortunately, um, in the evangelical church, I think we take it into our worship of the Lord. We've said it before, we'll say it again. Worship is not just about music. It's so much broader than that, okay? But this is a significant way that we worship is we come and we use our words to speak to God and we declare in the presence of our brothers and sisters God's goodness and who he is, right? But what happens is often we come into a space like this and we have pulled God down from ultimate. We've put ourselves up in there and it becomes about my preferences. You know, I need a place to worship where the songs sound like this. I need us to sing this song, and I need us not to sing that song, right? I need the, the instrumentation to be this way. I need it to have at least a minimum of X number of musicians on the stage. I need this, you know, and there's all these things that then become our preferences, and we weigh whether we had an off worship experience or not based on is it fitting my preferences? Is it meeting my needs? But if God's ultimate, and God's big, and God is clearly like there, present with like all these infinite reasons to worship him, then it doesn't matter if my preferences are being met. I, I can be invited into worship at any time. And so I want to say like with, a, with like so much compassion, because I'm really just being autobiographical here. Like I honestly, I, I had these like powerful worship experiences when I was in college, and it was with a bunch of college students, and we would just like 
praise like crazy, and I would feel so close to God, and it was nuts. And I feel like in a lot of ways, I've spent the last two decades trying to like get back to that again. And I weigh my church experiences based on whether it was like what I experienced then. So I'm, I'm saying it autobiographically. I'm saying it kind of confessionally. But, um, but man, the invitation. So let's just say this morning, we've, we've already sung two songs together, okay? Let's just say you came in here and, and we sang those two songs and you had an off worship experience. You didn't, you didn't feel close to God. You were distracted, um, it, you know, and, and whatever the reason, I don't care. I don't, whatever the reason, let's just say you had that off worship experience. I want to ask you a couple of things about that. So first of all, I want you to ask, did, did I say things that were true about God this morning? So assuming you were here, assuming you said those words, did I say things that were true about God this morning? Regardless of whether my heart is close to him, feeling close to him or not, did I say those things that were true about him? Did I come wanting to worship God? Okay, that's important, right? Because remember the Malachi warning, if we're doing it just like to fulfill a religious duty or to impress somebody and our hearts aren't there wanting to worship God, that's a problem. But if I came and I said things that were true of God and I wanted to be close and worship him, that's an important distinction. So did I come wanting to worship? And the third thing I'd, I'd encourage you to ask yourself is, did I stand in the midst of a whole bunch of really beautiful people that love the Lord and that love you, right? Did I stand there and did I say those true things about God together with that group of people? And I'm going to say, like, I hope the answer is yes to all three of those. I get the heart one is, like, kind of a tricky one. But let's just say it's yes. If, those, if the answer to those is yes, yes, I said things that were true about God, and my heart really did want to worship him, and I was standing with all these beautiful people that love God and that love me. I was standing in the midst of them, and together we said these things, right? If the answer to those is yes, and yet your heart still felt a little bit numb, and you didn't feel really, like, into it, then I'm just going to say, who cares? right? Boo-hoo. It's okay. You can have a worship experience where you say good things about God, things that you know deep down are true, and even if your heart isn't following you there and how you feel, that's okay. Now, I want the emotional experience for you too. I want it for myself. I pursue it. Like, I think God intends for you to have it. I think that's why things like music and, and art and stuff invoke us into worship. I think God wants our emotions engaged, but I'm just saying sometimes by, we put ourselves on the throne, we put ourselves as ultimate, and we, we long for the experience. We want to know how it makes me feel. And really, worship is about declaring to God who he is. And man, he'll help us with our emotions. I mean, if we're just honest about who we are, how we feel, what we want, you know, whatever, God knows all that. And so that's kind of the invitation is to get into this. Now, let me just say this about these verses before we move on. There is this, this dark side to this whole thing where Paul describes when we, when we get the worship wrong, okay? We get the worship wrong and we begin to fall into all these things. I've already explained how we like that whole thing of making something else ultimate, but things in our life begin to fall apart. Karl Barth says that the act of forgetting God has its own punishment like built in. Like that, that is, when we, when we um, ignore God, when we forget God, like that's kind of its own sort of punishment because everything else begins to fall apart in our lives. And we've talked a little bit about that happened. But man, worship then, if we can get worship right, what it does is when we stand here, and, and whether our emotions are quite there or not, we, we, we do want that, but whether they're or not, we're standing there and we're choosing to relate ourselves properly to God. We're saying, God, you are ultimate. Okay, so it's reminding ourselves, man, God, you are good and you, you love me, right? And it's what we looked at last week in Hebrews 10. You, you stand in that holy of holies and you're saying, I belong right there with you. I'm there with you now. I stand there. Um, I belong there with you because of your love for me. If we can relate ourselves properly to God like that, everything else in our life begins to fall into place and it's a beautiful thing. And so I want to leave us with this call. And the call is to, we, we re, we've reversed worship, and the call is to reverse that reversal. And let's put God in this place 
of ultimate, and let's remind ourselves of it. And I want to give us two ways that we can do this. One is um, I want us to recognize that all of God's stuff is constantly praising God. So, okay, we are created to worship. That's like, that's like the title of our series, what we're talking about. We're created to worship, but also everything is created to worship. Okay, everything is. So if we look at the world around us, there are infinite causes to praise and to worship God. There's all these ways that we can be drawn into that ourselves. John Calvin, I quoted him to say how our, our hearts are really good at turning things into idols, taking the physical world, and we make that into an idol. But he also said this, and I think it's really important. He says, should the Lord have attracted our eyes to the beauty of the flowers and our sense of smell to pleasant odors, and should it then be a sin for us to drink them in? It's a very John Calvin way of basically saying, God made things beautiful, and it's not wrong to recognize that, right? Like, God made things beautiful. Why? Because he wants us to be drawn to the beauty of it, right? He wants us to enjoy that, right? God, I, I've already mentioned it, and it's silly, but God made a strawberry the way that he did, and the only thing I can think of of why God made a strawberry, we don't need them, they're not more nutritious than other things, I don't think, I don't, really don't know about food, so I don't know, but... He made them, and they look really lovely, right? And they taste insane, right? And he gives the ability to appreciate them and just, like, bite into a thing that brings you back to, why is life this good? This is incredible, right? And so Calvin is saying that, like, God made the world beautiful, right? He made things smell good. He made colors, like, appreciable. And why did he do all that? Because he wants us to enjoy it. Uh, Dostoevsky wrote this in his, his novel, The Brothers Karamazov, and I've read this to you before, but I love it so much. He says, we need to love all of God's creation, both the whole of it and every grain of sand. Love every leaf, every ray of God's light. Love animals, love plants, love each thing. If you love each thing, you will perceive the mystery of God in things. One, uh, and once you perceived it, you will begin tirelessly to perceive more and more of it every day. Now, that's not scripture, but that's just a great reminder, okay, for us to simply just look anywhere at all. Look anywhere at all, any point in your life, any time of day, just look anywhere at all, and you're going to see the goodness of God in things. You're going to see the glory of God in things. And this is a scriptural concept because in like Psalm 19 and throughout the Psalm, Psalm 19 talks about how um, the heavens are declaring the glory of God and the sky above is proclaiming his handiwork. And so it kind of gives like human intentions and human emotions to creation, but it's basically saying, look around you. All this stuff, the heaven and the earth is just shouting God's glory. It's just shouting God's praise. It's doing what God called it to do, created it to do. It's being what God made it to be. And so anywhere that we look, if our hearts fall short of reasons to worship God, just look at literally anything. And now you have this renewed sense of this stuff that God made to be the way that God made it. And we can respond in our hearts to worship. And so I want to just use a, a silly example, okay? But like, this is how this works. So up here on stage, we, okay, we, we worship the Lord. The way we worship and singing in churches through all the historical circumstances that have come down typically have a guitar, a couple guitars. You typically have a keyboard. Sometimes you've got drums, okay? So all, these are like the stuff of worship, okay? And we sing our words to God. And there's a tendency to think the worship that happens in this room is the words that we sing to God, okay? And of course that's true, right? But before we sing a word to the Lord, what's going to happen is the band will, when they come up here, they're going to pick up their guitar. So we'll just look at Jaleesa's lovely guitar here, okay? And she's got this acoustic guitar, and, and what she's going to do is she's going to strum a chord on that thing, okay? And this is going to function in the way that God designed it to function. So here's what's crazy. There's metal strings on that guitar, okay? And they're stretched to a very specific frequency, and it, and it happens that, like, God designed it in such a way that when you stretch metal to that, that tension level, 
and you hit it with a pick or a finger or something like that, it vibrates, okay? God's the one that designed that. God's the one that made it. And when it vibrates, it makes a certain kind of a sound, right? And if you get the tension just right, the sound is really lovely, okay? And you do that, and what happens is then that string vibrates, and all around it, there's this wood, okay? And God designed the wood, and different kinds of woods respond in different ways, but that wood is shaped and crafted by human ingenuity based on the properties that God placed in it, that when the string is struck and it vibrates, that vibration carries into the wood that's there, and it begins to echo in the wood. And then that shoots out through the air, okay? And it doesn't use Wi-Fi, and I don't know how it works. It's invisible. We can't see it or perceive it other than there's these waves that travel through the air. So in this room, it'll come through a guitar. It'll also come through the speakers. But there's, there's these invisible waves, okay, that literally travel through the air according to God's design, mind you, that, that, that when it makes that sound, it sounds like God designed it to, God intended it to, and it travels invisibly through the air, and it comes at you, okay? And when it comes to you, what happens is, God's also just happens to have given you your ears, okay, which collect the sound, and those sound waves go into your ear, and it hits the piece of flesh in your ear called your eardrum, and it makes your eardrum vibrate with the same vibrations that the guitar is, like, shooting off. It's crazy, okay? And all that would be totally useless if it wasn't for the fact that God also gave you a brain that's able to take these vibrations that your eardrum is now shaking with and interprets them to your brain as, like, oh, that's an acoustic guitar, and that sounds really nice. As long as it's in tune, it sounds really nice, right? And then, and then when Steve comes and plays his electric guitar, you're going to hear that exact same dynamic coming through using some electricity, and it's going to come through, and it's going to hit your eardrum, and you're going to be like, oh, that's the electric guitar. Oh, that one's the keyboard. That one's the drums. And you're going to hear all these things. And why? Like, the, the whole point I'm trying to say is why. It's because God designed all of the stuff of his world to work in a certain way. And he designed us, calibrated us perfectly to live in the world that he made that is so full of beauty. And it's all part of God just making it plain to us, showing us the whole thing so that we're without excuse. But even so, even before we sing a word in here, there's this physical stuff in this room that's worshiping God by functioning the way that God designed it to function. It's calling out its praise to God. And all around us, if we just were tuned in, if we could just pay attention to it, all around us, we'd see the light and the water and the grass and the trees, and we'd see the people all around us that are simply just reflecting back to God that design. And so we are created to worship. Everything is created to worship, and everything truly is worshiping. And let's just imagine for a second that this, like we as human beings in this room, let's just say we don't believe in God, we don't care about God, we've never thought about God. Maybe this is an atheist convention or something like that. All of the human bodies in this room are created in God's image. Like we are, we are created in God's image. So even if none of us had a belief or a thought or a word that we spoke about God, our very bodies and our very being is reflecting back the image of God. There's praise in this room, even if every mouth in this room was claiming otherwise. And so my whole point with all this is just to say, man, when God says he's made it plain to us, he's made it clear to us, we knew God, right? There's this truth about God that's just everywhere visible. I'm just saying in this room, even right now, and, and if you're stuck at home watching this online too, Everywhere that we are, there is this praise of God that is just deafeningly being shouted all of the time. And the only question is, like, do we join in, right? You have a musical instrument built into your body, and some of them are really tuned, and some of them are really not, but it doesn't matter, right? Because we get the opportunity just to sing back to God, to join in with the, the, the praise that creation is shouting all the time, and just to say simply, with as much faith as we can muster, God, you are good, right? 
and we may need to set aside there's all the reasons, all the doubts, all the questions, all the hardships that we have in our life that say, I, I, this is making it hard for me to worship right now. We might need to set those things to the side, but we can compile a list of all of the reasons that we have to praise God. We can pay attention to everything else that's praising God and everyone else around us that's praising God and say, there's these reasons, and man, I want my emotions there, but even before my emotions get there, I'm just going to list to God these things, and I'm going to say to him that he is good for these things. And just responding to who God is, it's beautiful. It honestly doesn't matter how it sounds. It doesn't matter how many musicians are sick on a given week. I'm going to go ahead and invite the band up because we do need to sing together. But I, I just want to share this. I had, I had one Sunday um, when it, we, we used to go to church in Southern California, and one Sunday where Leanne Rimes was part of the congregation. And um, she's got a really lovely voice, okay? So just imagine how beautiful the worship was that morning with Leanne Rimes there, right? But there was this whole series of long Sundays where there was this woman that was like 100% tone deaf. Like, I'm not kidding, like 100% tone deaf and also completely unaware of the volume of her voice. Or maybe she just didn't care, right? But she would sing these worship songs in the most like musically horrifying way that you can imagine. I'm going to tell you, it was terrible, but you could tell, man, like there was so much love in that voice that's just being shouted out into the congregation. And for the rest of us there, it was like the Leanne Rhymes week was kind of cool, right? But man, every week we had with this lady that just didn't care what anyone thought. And she just put it out there because she loved her God and was just going to shout with the instrument that God had given her. It was beautiful. And so the invitation for us again, we are created to worship. Let's just join in with everything in this room, everything in this world that's already shouting God's praise. And let's get there by just pausing briefly to um, wherever you're at, however you're feeling, whatever you're thinking, just take a minute and let's just do a brief inventory. If you need to kind of set those things aside, the, the hardships, the doubts, that's all fine. That's all there. It's there for me too. Set it to a side for a second. You don't have to dismiss it, but just kind of hang on. And let's just mentally list for ourselves in our hearts, in our minds, what reasons do I have to worship God right now? And after a few minutes of us contemplating that, we'll start to sing together. <laughs> 